Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey, everybody. We've got a great one today. You know, for a change, Olivia Nutzi is my guest. She is the great Washington correspondent for uh, New York Magazine, hence a great one. She's been out covering the presidential candidates this cycle. Uh, there's more than you, you might think. Uh, because in addition uh, to the president and, and Dean Phillips on the Democratic side, and that one looks good for Biden right now, a, a little bit more on that in a, in a couple minutes. But there's, of course, a former president, Donald Trump, and Nikki Haley, and that's looking good for Trump as well. But there's also Jill Stein uh, running for the Green Party. Why? Do you want to win this for Trump again, like you did in 2016? Uh, there's Cornell West running as an independent. Uh, please don't vote for him. There's Robert Kennedy Jr., who Olivia profiled in her magazine. Don't vote for him either. He, he was a very good riverkeeper for the Hudson River, but he is a big anti-vaxxer. He, he just got the prize endorsement of the American Association for the Promotion of Measles, Mumps, and Rubella. Wait, I think I, I used that joke in my conversation with Olivia. Ah, you can hear it twice. In a report released Thursday, uh, Special Counsel Robert Hur said that he has declined to prosecute President Biden for his handling of classified documents, even though Biden's practices in handling them, quote, present serious risks to national security, and added that part of the reason he wouldn't charge Biden was that the president could portray himself as an, quote, elderly man with a poor memory who would be sympathetic to a jury. What the fuck? This is James Comey all over again, calling a press conference to say that the Justice Department wasn't going to prosecute Hillary Clinton, even though he really very much disapproved of the way she used her private server. If you don't charge someone, you leave that crap out. You just say you're not charging them. How come when they announced that they were prosecuting Donald Trump in the January 6th case, that in addition to the counts, Jack Smith didn't also say, oh, and by the way, he's a malignant narcissist who cheated on his wife with a porn star who he paid off and ripped off everyone who attended the entirely bogus Trump University. Trump took all these classified top secret documents to Mar-a-Lago, 
showed top secret documents to people like they were party favors. When the National Archives demanded that they all be returned, he only returned some of them and swore he had returned them all, had his employees hide some of them, and claimed he could declassify documents just by thinking about it. Shame on this guy, Robert Hur, a holdover from the Trump Justice Department, a Republican. And of course, you assign a Republican to investigate a Democratic president. But what this guy did in this report is shameful. You report what you have to report, which is the president is not going to be charged, not fill it with adverbs or adjectives like painfully slow in answering. President Trump's response were gratuitously obnoxious, palpably disgusting. What the fuck? Sorry, kids, for the language. I really am. I'll tone it down in the future, I promise. I should say that my conversation with Olivia Nuzzi happened prior to the announcement of the special counsel's ridiculous report, so we did not discuss that, nor the arguments in the Supreme Court on the uh, ballot question in Colorado. On that, I will say only this. The justices seem kind of scared that they would actually have to make a decision that only they could make. Did Donald Trump participate in an insurrection? Well, he exhorted the mob to go over to the Capitol and fight. You can't interpret that as simply fight like, we've got to fight for people's right to vote, or fight for this candidate, or fight for justice. No, this was go over to the Capitol and fight, which they did. But let's be generous. Maybe he meant go over there and fight for our right to yell and scream outside the Capitol and make the argument that Congress shouldn't accept the results of the election. Well, after Trump watched them storm the Capitol and attacking the police, he sat and waited three friggin' hours there. I cleaned it up, friggin'. He waited three friggin' hours before telling the mob to go home. That is participating in an insurrection. Well, we've got a great one today, you know, for a change. Olivia Nuzzi of New York Magazine joins me. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, 
C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. You're now in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And it's Las Vegas, not and it's Nevada, not Nevada. <laughs> you you knew that, right? Yeah, I knew that. Because they hate it. They hate it when you say Nevada there. But anyway, so uh, it's not Las Vegas. It's Las Vegas. I, I know that. So you're in Las Vegas, and there was there a primary there? or No, it was a caucus. Is it sort a caucus? Of, I mean, <laughs> sort of, yeah. I mean, I'm confused. One, I'm confused, too. Um, so there's a primary and a caucus for some reason now, and uh, Nikki Haley was in the primary and donald trump is in the caucus i believe is the the case um and nikki haley lost to um none of these candidates so so in other words he was not on the that ballot correct and there were no delegates to be gained in that race anyway i don't know if the nikki haley campaign just screwed up and they they applied to be in the wrong in the wrong race or what happened exactly. But well, this sounds like the screwiest thing I've ever heard, which is they have a caucus and an election. And one candidate just chose the election, which Trump did. He's sort of the only game in town now. I mean, Nikki Haley is not running a serious campaign at this point. She certainly put an exclamation point on that in terms of somehow not running against him. <laughs> I, would say she put a, I would say she put a, a question mark uh, next to her name. Yeah, it's not really a serious operation. It's funny that the press takes her so seriously. I think we, we're just sort of dying for something drama and yeah. conflict anyway to make it seem as if uh, Trump's uh, nomination is not inevitable because there's no content in um in a sort of consistent story like that. That story will be very consistent. And well, you see how uh, everyone in Congress is, all the Republicans in Congress are doing whatever he wants. It's inspiring, isn't it? <sighs> it really is. That uh, What a destructive person he is. You've been on the trail, right? That's what you do. And you're the Washington correspondent, so you, you cover this election, but you're not going to be nine months on the road covering Trump and Biden, are you or are you? I don't know. Um, I don't know how much Joe Biden will be visibly on the campaign trail. Um, Obviously, last cycle, um, we were in the middle of a pandemic. And so that was not typical. um, And there were not a lot of events. Trump is on the road pretty much constantly. He really Mm -hmm. requires it, I think, psychologically to be in a crowd. He, He gets that energy from the crowd. He does. Yeah. He's sort of an energy vampire. <laughs> you can tell when he hasn't been on the road a lot. Uh, this came up a lot during COVID. Um, he really seems to suffer. And it's. Uh, I think it's important for him to sort of be confronted with evidence that people like him. 
on a daily basis or a near daily basis. Right. And so he'll be on the road constantly, I assume. Tell me about these rallies. This weird thing recently, um, you know, like the last several months when you go to a Trump rally um, on the screens beforehand when you're waiting for him to come out, he's just started playing um, videos of Elvis performances. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's pretty, um, I guess that's kind of brilliant. Maybe. It's pretty on the nose, right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, not exclusively Elvis. There's some Elton John in there as well, but um, it is primarily Elvis. Well, at least Elvis can't complain and say, stop <laughs> playing me. You know, I'm sure Elton John was probably the first he's heard we of had it. a long relationship, him and Elton John. Trump had like a blog for a period of time during the, the kind of Trump University era. And he wrote a blog post celebrating Elton John's marriage. And they, they've known each other a long time. And obviously, Elton John is sort of a, a fixture in the uh, idiosyncratic Trump MAGA rally playlist. He's, if you go to a Trump rally, you're, you will hear Tiny Dancer at minimum like eight times. Well, it's a beautiful song. It is. And, you know, it hasn't ruined it for me. He's got good taste in music, if nothing else. He's got a uh, good taste for uh, a popular, what, what's popular with people. and It's very strange. It's like the Rolling Stones. It's You Can't Always Get What You Want. It's Tiny Dancer. And then it's like Memory from Cats, which which is always jarring. Um, <laughs> and, um, it's, it's a very strange playlist so uh is are the crowds as big as they've always been or it depends on where you are it depends if it's a nighttime rally or a daytime rally frankly um the the evening events tend to be better attended people are off from work obviously yeah i mean although a big portion of the rally going public at a trump event is you know elderly retired people oh is that right yeah, but they're um, they're strange. I mean, a lot of it, it's a lot of tailgating. People just seem sort of happy to have something to do, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always get the impression that, you know, if it, if it were a concert, if it were an Elton John concert instead in Sioux City, Iowa, the same people might turn up. But he just happens to be the circus rolling through town. <laughs> There's less curio. I mean, people used to come to the events and it seemed like they were just sort of like rubbernecking and just curious about this strange phenomenon. And it seems more like a social event for at least a certain segment of, of his supporters now. Do people leave early because of parking? I mean, no, yeah, they do. They're always streaming out. Um, you know, if he, he'll start to drone on and on and like around the hour mark, hour 15, people start to get antsy and start to stream out. So how effective are these speeches? I mean, he, he, he gives the press plenty of opportunity to go like holy mackerel he just said that immigrants poison our blood and things like that he he every you know or calling you know vermin and communists and fascists and <laughs> and rooting them out and those kinds of things how often does he give the press a new uh, outrage to talk about it's interesting after 2020 and and definitely after the insurrection the media presence at trump's rallies really reconfigured you used to have all the major networks you would have sort of the usual suspects from mainstream legacy publications from the major papers and from major magazines and it was always very well attended in the press section and that was a fixture that itself was like part of the staging of the rally from the beginning where trump would say 
turn around and look at the fake news media right. and the crowd would turn and boo us. And it was either this sort of semi-comical bit or depending on the crowd, sometimes it felt a little menacing. But then it changed. And now when you go to a Trump rally, it's mostly like right-wing activists who are in the media section. So you see like Sebastian Gorka and Ed Henry and you know people of that ilk. And so when he tells the crowd to turn around and boo the media, they're sort of <laughs> turning around and yelling at themselves, you know? It's not to say that no press is attending them. Obviously, there's still a presence, but it's not a must-attend thing anymore. anymore. And I think it's because the press was so um, criticized for platforming him and right. for, for allowing him to speak without, um, you know, sufficient guardrails. And so there's a right. lot of anxiety about the optics of covering him the same way again. Well, that certainly happened in 16, where anytime Trump did a rally, CNN would cut to him. And they weren't alone, but I mean, but, and I remember t during that race talking to Hillary and she said that she and Huma would watch them and laugh you know, <laughs> that age well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> well, I would, I would w w watch them and laugh I mean, too. I used to. This is terrible. I shouldn't even repeat this. I. This is so embarrassing. But House Style at the Daily Beast, where I worked during the 2016 election, we would refer to him as future President Donald Trump as a joke. <laughs> Ironically, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, without Twitter, obviously he's still posting on his own social media platform, but there's just a, it's more, it feels more like him shouting into the void at the rallies and, and on social media. Whereas one tweet used to drive a whole news cycle for, you know, at least half a day before he right. tweeted something else insane. Now it's, you have to really seek out his commentary and it's not as um, central to the political discourse anymore for now i don't know if that'll change as the race sort of crystallizes I've, I've made a point of trying to watch them in in part because they're fascinating how how much of what he says does it have a shape his speech or is, <laughs> I, I mean he seems to be a guy who can riff as long as he wants um yeah and i'm he... it sounds like a compliment but it feels like that would be great if he was actually putting out real information and there was a beginning, middle, and end and not just all middle. He has sort of like greatest hits that he comes back to. And so when, when he notices mm -hmm. the crowd disengaging and not you know hanging on his every word, you, you can sort of see that click for him. And then he'll say something like, what are we going to do, folks? We're going to build the wall. And he gets the crowd involved again in, in listening. It's very interesting. I, I have a hard time. Once he starts talking, something happened at a rally, something happens to my brain where it's just sort of filled with static. And I find it very difficult to, to process his words in real time. I think because they don't make logical sense just in terms of the syntax of his sentences. <laughs> it's very difficult for me to to really absorb what he's saying in real time. Um, and I'll zone out and then I come back and it, it's 
hard to know several hours what later. election he's talking about because he'll be talking about Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, and it's like, have I been in a coma since 2015, and I just I just came to, and it's only 2016. You know, what year is it? What election are we in? Um, he doesn't like to talk about Joe Biden as much as he likes to talk about Hillary Clinton. It just it does not animate him as much. It does not animate his audience as much, and so he'll sort of fall back into rhetoric that made much more sense a few years ago. He lost to Joe Biden and he yeah. beat Hillary Clinton. So that And she's just not as good of a I mean I think this is part of why he lost to Joe Biden. He never landed on a way to talk about him. He couldn't even decide on a nickname. You know, he didn't know if he was Sleepy Joe or Creepy Joe, two diametrically opposed ideas. And his audience, I mean I think it's why he talks about Hunter Biden so much because he is a um, a better villain than Joe Biden and uh, a better character. And even I was at the border a few days ago in Arizona looking for the um, MAGA trucker caravan that was supposed to be rolling through. Um, and they never they never showed up. But all of the uh, merchandise at this rally, I mean, most of it was about Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris and not Joe My Biden. God. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Olivia Nuzzi of New York Magazine. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. We're back with Olivia Nuzzi. You, of course, were in New Hampshire for the New Hampshire primary, right? Yes. Were you at the speech he gave? You know, his victory speech? I was not at his victory speech, no. But did you see it? Did you get a chance yeah, to see course, it? Yeah, of course. That was pretty bizarre, I thought. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of, it reminded me of um, when he used to like book himself on Entertainment Tonight and would just sort of riff Joan Rivers style about pop culture for a couple of minutes for segments. I mean, he just sort of likes to be a commentator. But it was all attacking her. Attacking her, her yeah. And she actually said he won uh, this, he deserves it, you know, he earned it. He, she said that. And then started saying about how, you know, they did pretty well and it was a good night for them, too. And that's what you do when you lose, right? You, that's a, not extraordinary at all. 
and he went after her very strongly for some yeah. reason. Well, I think she's a good villain, and he kind of he needs to have an opponent, and his crowd is animated when he's attacking her. She's also a good opponent if she's going in the part of the Nevada primary or whatever their voting system is, the part that doesn't actually give delegates. <laughs> yeah, they really uh, they did a great job on that. So how, how how far away are we from South Carolina? And that'll basically put the exclamation point on it. It's uh, February 24th. And that is a Saturday. Yes, that is a Saturday. Um, I, mean, I find it difficult to believe she's polling so poorly right now. I have a hard time believing that she's going to stay in to be humiliated in her home state. I know. I uh, Obviously, both senators and the governor are backing Trump, but somehow I, I, I think of her as a successful two-term governor who took a what in the South is a courageous stand to take the Confederate flag down. Of course, in the Republican primary, maybe that that's they hold that against her, I guess. You know, I find her to be very, very weak when you listen to her speak and you watch her speak, you go to her events. She doesn't have a great pitch. I mean, her pitch in New Hampshire was basically, I'm Nikki Haley and I'm not Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Whereas he was campaigning just in advertising, which, you know, he can't be this disciplined when he's speaking live. Um, but he was campaigning against her on the issues um, in advertising. They were sort of pretty relentless, calling her weak on immigration and running to her left on social security and the safety net and saying that Nikki Haley wants to to take your social security away. Wow. I didn't know that was part of her platform. <laughs> and she didn't have any response, in, at least in, in the way that she was advertising herself to voters there. So I don't, I don't know if that really mattered. I, I don't know how okay. much Trump's voters are really animated by policy, right? Uh, they might just really love him and hate anyone challenging him. But she's not super compelling, you know, just in a retail politics sense. I think that Democrats make the mistake when they see her in very small bites, right? That she goes like, oh, well, she sounds really sensible and <laughs> and uh, and well-spoken. And uh, Well, it's sort of like, I don't know, like the tallest building in Omaha or the skinniest uh-huh. kid at Fat Camp. It's very easy to seem very sensible uh, when you're being compared to Donald Trump. So uh, she famously has gotten a lot of money, right? I mean, uh, support from people with a lot of money. Yeah. So uh, my, my question is, why isn't she running ads? I mean, that's what... Oh, she was running ads. They just they just weren't very good. She was running ads, basically introducing herself um, to voters. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, I think there's just a sort of establishment donor class. And what they want is very different from what the majority of the Republican electorate wants. But she should be able to hire people who know what the Republican electorate wants and makes ads that appeal to them. I think that what they want is Donald Trump. <laughs> okay, well that's that's a that's nice what, I mean thought. that seems to be <laughs> seems to be what the what the results so far and what the polling suggests. So now, what percentage of the party is 
I mean, have you looked at these polls or have you gotten a sense of it on the road? What percentage of Republicans, people who identify as Republicans are Trump supporters? Is it like 80 percent now or is it or maybe not? But her vote, she got she did very well with independents and he did very well with Republicans. So the margin in that state, while it was only what? 13 points or something like that, 12 points or 11, something. It's really in Republican primary is going to be much wider, right? Yeah. I mean, his favorability among Republicans is extraordinarily high. I mean, it's, I think it's like closer to 90% or, you know, in the, in the high 80s. Really? Yeah. And so, what percentage believe of the people you talk to, this is a, an informal poll, your poll, what percentage of the people you meet that identify as Republicans believe that Trump won the election? Oh, the majority of them. And even the ones who don't think, I mean, even the ones who seem sort of more um, reasonable mm-hmm. and and um, less sort of the stereotypical MAGA rally goer, um, they still believe that there was some manipulation if there was not like outright theft. Wow. Wow. Because you think about what you have, the thought process you have to go through to get to that. Well, I think we just have this dynamic in the country right now where there are a lot of people, not just on the right, on the left as well, who are deeply distrustful of government and deeply distrustful of institutions. And Mm -hmm. I think you see that reflected in how you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is polling, for instance, right now. Let's talk about him because you wrote uh, a great piece about him, I will say. Thank you. Yeah, no. uh, And I know I know Bobby from an earlier time when he was a riverkeeper. And that was sort of the environment was his main issue. And he was very critical of the Bush administration in terms of all the people that Republicans normally put in charge of anything that has to do with the environment, the interior secretary, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, always put people from the oil industry or whatever in, in, in charge of those things. And he was a real champion on the environment. What the hell happened to Bobby? Uh, that's a loaded question, I know. I shouldn't ask it that way. Tell me about Bobby. <laughs> um. I don't. I didn't know him in his previous um, incarnation. incarnation that you're you're talking about. I was listening to um, an interview or a conversation with um, Theo Vaughn and uh, I think Tom Dillon last week, and they were joking around about how people wonder why he's so skeptical of the government when he believes that the government murdered his uncle and his father. Right. That would make you very skeptical of the government. Did he lay out the case for for that? By the way, to you, he has. Uh, I mean, he wrote he wrote a book where where he lays out the case that um, you know Sirhan Sirhan did not act alone, and he actually advocated for his his release from prison. He seems to really be tapping into what we were just talking about, which is the skepticism of of government generally and skepticism of powerful institutions. He just won a big endorsement, by the way, from the American Society for the Advancement of Measles, Mumps, and Rubella. (laughs) Um, It's interesting. He's got this new book out now where he lays out the case on vaccine. Yeah, it's about COVID, but it's not... I sort of 
I guess I didn't fully grasp what his theory was about COVID before. I thought it was just, you know, about pharmaceutical companies and the vaccine being dangerous, et cetera. And the theory is more that there is a, a big conspiracy between the pharmaceutical companies, the American government, and our military industrial complex to create bioweapons, chemical weapons, and that that's what a lot of the vaccine development is really about, and that COVID originated as, as part of this research to develop weapons. So it's just sort of um, very far-reaching government conspiracy. government conspiracy that I think is very appealing to a lot of people who suspect that the government is not operating uh, in, a, in an honest, transparent, noble way. The theory of it got out of the lab in Wuhan is not an absolutely crazy theory, but no, it doesn't not in, at all. But it doesn't involve the United States government deliberately creating a weapon. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> uh, pretty far out there uh, theory. But I mean, I think the the difficulty for like traditional political reporters engaging with this and trying to cover this is, you know, if someone told me that that was their theory, I could say, well, that sounds pretty far out there, as you just say, but I don't fucking know, right? Like, I don't, I don't have any evidence that I could argue with against that theory or, or for it, right? So it's very difficult to, there's sort of a whole contrary um, set of facts that people in the, uh, they would say, vaccine skeptical community um, are dealing with. And it's very difficult to have a conversation where you really reach any sort of satisfying conclusion with the person you're conversing with when you have two entirely different universes of facts. It's like trying to argue with a climate denier. Yeah, I mean, or anything else. And and there's a, and there's a lot of truth to what they have to say, too. I mean, I don't think anyone can look at the opioid ep- epidemic and say, no, we should trust the pharmaceutical companies, right? They're, they right. have our best interest at heart. They're not just obsessed with profits and they, they do care about us. Of course, that's that's ridiculous, right? And these people are taking that further to say that they have explicitly nefarious intentions, right? But it's it's like having a conversation with, I mean, I've been at rallies with, you know, QAnon supporters and it's it's very difficult if they say that there is a, an elite cabal who commits sex crimes against minors. I mean, that's true. Sure. We have the Jeffrey Epstein logs. Um, so it's hard to uh, it's hard to fully argue with people when they have there is at least a grain of truth to, to what they're saying. Yeah. And of course, I believe that, too, that the elite drink the blood of these kids. That <laughs> and that's kidnap. just a Friday night for you, right? Uh, that That's the, I mean, when you look at, point to Jeffrey Epstein and you look at that and you go like, okay, I, I understand that. I understand what was happening there. It was awful. It's, you know, what a hideous person he, he was. But that's so far afield from there are these elites who kidnap kids and keep them in basements and take their blood and drink it. But that's a big part of QAnon, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always 
mistakenly think that you can sort of argue on the the minor factual things. So for instance, Comet Ping Pong, um, there is no basement <laughs> there. There's no basement there, right? Yeah. So if, if they were keeping kids there, uh, it would have to be out back or something, but there is no basement. Um, and I have found just anecdotally that um, uh, these people do not care. Now, the guy who went there and shot off his, his gun a couple times, I guess, is he... Do you, uh, you, why would you know this? Is he still in prison? Why would I know that? Well, why I, would you know whether know. he's still in prison? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going like, wait a minute. Why am I asking? You're beat. Yeah, you're beat. Well, you're the Washington correspondent, right? So that happened in Washington. I would yeah. think that you would attract the guy who, the crazy guy who did that. But boy, when he found out there was no basement there, he must have been pissed. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think he was having a good day. Yeah. Well, so uh, nine more months. <laughs> That's what we're saying. Um, it's going to be a close election. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? I think it's going to. Uh, I, I I don't know where the margins are right now in terms of Trump, just Trump directly versus uh, Biden and what the mix of other people does to it. So I I think. When you put other people in, it widens the margin. And the margin seems to be pretty small, like 3% or 4% or something like that when I see the polling. And there's a long way to go. But it does make me nervous when all these third parties are in that. And Manchin is talking about maybe no labels. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... if you think back to 2016, it did not take very much for a combination of Gary Johnson and Jill Stein to yep. really screw things up for Hillary Clinton in a handful of states. No, that, that was the margin of victory. And I yeah. also remember, you know, Ralph Nader in Florida got like 90,000 votes or something. So right. all that makes me very, very nervous. Yeah, and and Robert F. Kennedy uh, is is polling much better than certainly Jill Stein or Gary Johnson ever were. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's a lot of reason for the major parties to be very nervous. Yep. How do you feel about how Joe Biden seems right now? Well, you know, we were talking about the energy of him at rallies, of Trump at rallies, that he you called him a... a energy vampire is that what you call them probably yeah you know while he's doing that biden is you know on the phone to go you know talking to the cutter and trying to figure negotiate stuff and created the coalition that that behind ukraine he's doing that kind of thing so that takes a lot of energy but it's not the kind of energy that people see and so I just hope that they run an effective campaign and can show all of his accomplishments, which are, and, and the economy is recovering, uh, recovering. It's been expanding, uh, since he's been there basically, right. He's created over 16 million new jobs. So I sound like a, you know, an ad here, but yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I'm want curious. him to win. <laughs> I want him to win. <laughs> I'm curious. I have a question for you. Um, you were talking about watching Trump rallies in 2016 and, and laughing as as we all did. He seems impossible to satirize. He's very hard to satirize. Um, yeah. Is humor not an effective weapon against somebody like that? I don't know if it's an effective weapon. You can use it certainly with 
you know, I, I do comedy and I do go to nightclubs and, and I'm about to go on, on a kind of a tour and I use some Trump stuff and they laugh at it, but it's, it's not, I don't do an impression of him. And I, I think that the guy who is on Saturday night live does a great impression, but it's not satirizing him other than his way of just randomly saying stuff, which is what you were talking about. So no, I, I, it's, it's been really hard to get a handle on him and really do any, any damage. So wait, can you, can you tell me a Trump joke? Uh, no, I'm not going to do that right now. (laughs) This has been terrific. (laughs) And I, yeah, yeah. Um, has it, have we learned anything? Yeah, I think we learned a lot. I think we learned a lot (laughs) and had fun. It's like camp. That's what you do at camp. Oh, I, I've never been to camp. Me neither, but that's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I never was at summer camp. My parents didn't fork over money for me to go to summer camp. Yeah, we camp. were poor. I can't yeah. relate. Um. Well, Olivia, thank you. I, I, I've been very happy with this. You, anything you want that we? Well, I, wa- I wanted your, I wanted your tight five, but you're, you're refusing. My tight five. Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I do a thing about. Uh, how he thought <laughs> when when he said all I need is eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes <laughs> that he thought um Raffensperger was gonna do that. <laughs> and that he thought uh, Raffensperger is gonna have a press conference where he says uh uh there's a been a new tally here in in Georgia and the new winner by one vote. <laughs> it's Donald Trump I mean how did how did Trump actually believe that call was going to do him any good and how did he not know that it was being recorded well listen it was a perfect call so I think he thought it was a everyone would love it if it were being recorded it's interesting though I think it works often enough for him that he he's sort of he's a cockeyed optimist you know well uh that's that's not how I think of him as a cockeyed <laughs> optimist. That's a lyric in a song. I'm just a cockeyed optimist. <laughs> Bum. I always like to end on 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 a, a song. That's part of my act. Is I do it, uh, <laughs> I close with a song. That was beautiful. Thank you. Well, I I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, 
Who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.